Hey, it's Heidi Rain. Welcome home and welcome back for another episode of Addiction, Codependency, and Toxic Relationship Recovery. Today, we're going to hit the topic of settling. I could not be more excited about talking about settling to you because I remember not so long ago when I asked myself a very important question that literally changed the trajectory of my life. And, you know, Tony Robbins says all the time, and I'm sure he heard it somewhere else too. If you want to have better answers in your life, you have to learn to ask better questions. There's a lot of power in the right question. That's why when you work with somebody, you work with a coach and they can ask you that one question and you go, oh my God, I never thought of it that way before. And in that one moment, it changes your life forever. Now, up until this moment in the past, and if you're listening to this in succession, it's the new year. So happy new year. It's January. And we make a lot of resolutions, right? Every year. In fact, I was one of those people that when the secret first came out, who, who remembers when the secret first came out, right? That it was this underground DVD and you couldn't get it unless you knew a friend of a friend of a friend and it would pass it along. Well, I happened to be working in Vancouver at the time doing some business consulting and training for a company. And I got it from a hypnotherapist because at the time I couldn't sleep. I had like insomnia and I couldn't sleep. So he gave me this and I thought, yes, this is going to change my life. This new, new radical approach of the law of attraction. And I'm going to call in what it is that I want. And so I spent many many years, just like you did, I'm sure making your vision boards, you know, it was a huge deal, like vision board parties. I remember one time we had a vision. We had a couple of times we had vision board parties at our house where it was like, we collected all these magazines and, you know, friends would come over and we get the poster board and we'd have like, you know, hors d'oeuvres and, and everybody spread out all over the place, making their vision boards. And it was fun. And actually when I used to work in the drug and alcohol treatment center, when I ran several groups there, one of them was like an art therapy group. And I had the, the clients in the drug and alcohol treatment center make vision boards for their life. So I'm not downing this. I know the power of a vision board. I know the power of sitting down every year and asking yourself what you want your life to look like. But there's this whole other crowd of us, this whole other group of people who we're okay at making the vision board and we can do that, but we struggle a little bit because instead of thinking about what we really want to create in our lives and calling in the home and the stuff and the things and the experiences and the ideal relationship, we put the cart before the horse because a better question to ask ourselves instead of what do I really want? The first question you have to ask yourself before you ask that question is, what am I no longer willing to tolerate? What am I no longer willing to settle for? And I found in my own life, that is the number one question that continues to change my life over and over again. But here's the crazy thing. You don't know when you're settling. You know, so it's like you could Google how to stop settling. Yeah. And you're, you hear advice, right? You're, you're sharing your problems with other people and they're like, girl, you can, you need to stop settling, honey. You are worth so much more than what you're settling for, you know? And, 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 and we all have heard that term, you know, Hey, this is not what you, this is less than what you deserve. You know, you're settling. And like, there's a piece of us, there's a part of us that goes, that's probably true, but there's a whole nother part of us person I'm talking to now, which is a version of myself, which goes like this. Yeah, maybe I'm settling or maybe I'm asking for too much. 
maybe my expectations are too high. So this is the conversation I want to have with you today is not how to stop settling. How do you stop settling? You fucking stop settling. It's not rocket science, right? You stop the shit you're doing that's settling and you do something else. Okay. That not when you're smart and I'm smart, it's not that we want to figure out how to stop settling. It's that we want to figure out first, identify we're actually settling in the first place because that's where the loop that you get stuck in. And well, I shouldn't really complain. A lot of people have it worse. It could be so much worse. So let's go back. How do you, why does this happen? This land of confusion of am I settling or are my expectations too high? Likely you either survived a lot when you grew up. Okay, that's scenario number one where, you know, and I and I have so many times talked to so many clients that don't even realize the impact of their upbringing on their lives now, because they're kind of like, you know how when you have PTSD and you don't even, when you're in a war, you kind of just put your head down and you bury your head and you do what you have to do. And then you don't have the PTSD until you get out. Well, that's like a lot of us who grew up in alcoholism, addiction, narcissism, dysfunction. It's like, you really don't know what you're in until you get out and somebody points out to you, Hey, that probably wasn't that great. I probably left a mark. That war you were in, that internal battle, that psychological, emotional war you were in left some shrapnel, honey, and we need to go through it. So it's kind of like waking up to the reality. But what happens is when you don't recognize the impact of the toxic people in your life, or you don't even call them toxic, you're not even willing, you're like, oh, well, that's, you never talk bad about your parents, you know, you just love them, and they did the best they could. I mean, if I hear that one more time, yeah, shit, okay, they did the best they could. So what? Was it, was it enough? No, in many cases, it wasn't. And you're not going to go to hell for recognizing that you didn't get what you needed. But if you don't recognize you didn't get what you needed, you can't possibly recognize when you're settling. Do you see how it's all linked? So it's really important that you understand why you got here is likely because you were a participant in somebody else's bullshit, okay? But they gaslit you at the time saying, it's not that bad, you should have, you. I had it much worse than you did, you have no idea how good you have it, I could be so much worse, I didn't really hurt you, I didn't really do that to you, it's not as bad as you think it is, you're too sensitive, and so what happens? You start to get talked into settling. You start to imagine that you're a little too big for your britches, the expectations that you have of, of how you're supposed to be treated and how life is supposed to go, starts to get super cloudy and you get talked out of that gut feeling like this doesn't quite feel right. But then that gut feeling travels up to the head and goes, well, other people have it worse than you. And what that really is, is toxic gratitude. And I've talked to so many people that are in relationships, as you know, this work that I do with addicts or alcoholics or narcissists, and they'll say things like, well, you know what? He, he, he is drunk all the time. He drinks a lot. You know, he comes home and mostly he goes in the garage and like, you know, we don't see him after five o'clock after he gets home. I mean, he just hides in the garage and gets, gets shit faced out there. I don't know what he's doing. And then he'll come home and he'll grumble around and we all kind of know how to stay away from him because we don't, you know, we don't want to get, we don't want to, you know, get in anything with them. So the kids just kind of mind their business. And so do I, and you know, Heidi, it could be so much worse. He could be beating, beating us. Heidi, it could be so much worse. He could be like raging. I mean, if that's the comparison, it's like, you know, I tell this story a lot about how we learn to settle. 
And it's, it's a psychological downgrade from what you deserve or what you know intellectually is okay to what you, the environment that you're in and you settle because of the environment that you're in. The environment you grew up in is laying the groundwork, right? But sometimes people didn't grow up in that environment and they're still settling because they don't recognize the level of their settling because it happens slowly over time. Maybe when you met your person, you first met them, they were just really fun. You know, they were just, it was just a great time. You guys went out, you guys had a blast. You guys were the life of the party. He was fun. He got, he got, a, he got a, little, a little annihilated from time to time. Okay. There's a couple of times you had to put him into bed, but you know what? It was not that big of a deal because you were like, you know, Hey, we're having a good time. And then he's going into work and he's climbing the ladder and he's being really successful. And you're like, well, he's, you know, he's coming home and he's, he's drunk as hell on the weekends, right? He's, he's annihilated on the weekends, but Monday through Monday through Thursday, okay. Most Thursdays he's pretty sober. So, you know, as long as it's just on the weekends, Hey, it's okay. We can handle it now on the weekends. Some bad things start to happen on the weekends, but at least it's just still on the weekends and it's not during the week and he's functioning. Okay. And he's still working. You know, he's still managing a job, so we're fine. Well, now it's crept in on every Wednesday and the weekends, but hey, at least it's not he's sober for work on a Monday. You see how long I could go on with a story becomes he's an everyday drinker. We're losing our house and he's lost all the money. I mean, this is a progressive illness, but it's like, how do you boil a frog? This is so gross. I, I mean, I don't we were on a, <laughs> my daughter's an adventurous eater and we were just on a cruise not too long ago and she ordered frog's legs. I mean, this kid, well, she ordered octopus the day before. We were in Aruba or some, I don't know, some, some, some island, you know, the boat landed and she ordered octopus and she loved it. So then she orders frog legs on the boat and she's like, looks at it and she's like, it's a leg. I'm like, yeah, honey, it's a leg. It's like, she's like, oh, she was so grossed out. She couldn't eat it. And, you know, she was like, no, I can't even look at it. She put the napkin over top of it and put it away. But it's, and I tell you that story because I, two things, number one, how do you boil a frog? Well, the frog is in the stove and you just keep turning up the heat little by little. You throw it in there. This is so gross. You throw it in there alive and then little by little it, you know, it, it dies. It the, the starts to boiling. It doesn't even realize it's being boiled. And that's you. You don't even realize you're in a pot of boiling water because the temperature is getting turned up a little by little. That's the gaslight in reverse. We're like, you know, you're just little by little thinking you're going crazy, but you're not quite sure, you know? And another thing is too, is like, just let's talk about settling. First of all, I, I'm a girl who grew up on welfare. Okay. I'm a girl who had a free lunch at school. I'm a girl who, you know, we, I was grateful for what I had because it could have been worse. Right. Yes. Many times when I was a little kid before my, my parents kind of got it together, you know, the, the heat would go off in the winter and we'd be really cold and we'd have to like burn furniture, random tables to stay warm in the fireplace. And, you know, I had many, so here I am telling you a story about being in Bonaire and my daughter eating frog's legs. And it sounds like who the hell do I think I am? Right. Well, my, Oh God, you know, what am I talking about? Frog's legs and Bonaire. You know, there was a time in my life where I would think, well, that's, that's like way an experience up here that I can't possibly have. Right. I'm not going to be in Bonaire eating octopus on the beach. Right. Because I live in West Virginia and I get a free lunch and, you know, I, I don't have a pot to piss in. Right. But that level of thinking, like toxic gratitude, well, just be lucky that you're even on a boat. Just be lucky you even have food to eat. 
is like at some point you get to say, I'm on a boat having frog's legs and I don't like them and I can send them back. At some point you get to be in a relationship with a person who's not, who's like pretty much firing on all cylinders, but they, but the rest of the time, 25% of the time they treat you like shit, they're drunk, they're MIA. You get to say 75% isn't enough. You get to say that. It's the same concept of upgrading your thinking to what you believe you deserve. And if you're a survivor, the mentality is, well, I've been through so much, I can put up with things. So here's how you get stuck. You're so good at tolerating bullshit that you think you're being successful and because you're, you thrive in it, you don't even have a possibility of what's next, right? You can't even see the forest through the trees. So here's what I wanna encourage you. If you could have anything you want, right? And you can, have it however you want, you first have to look and see where you're settling. And my daughter would have settled, believe it or not, for frog's legs on a boat in Bonaire. Okay. She would have settled for that versus the other dish that they, she had instead. Isn't that nuts to think about that? I was on a free lunch and my kids sending back frog legs. I mean, it's bananas, but, but we have to shift our focus first, right? We have to shift our focus first of what we believe is possible for us and the standards that we hold for ourselves so that our children can learn to hold higher standards too. And not be, no, she's not being bratty. She's not being like too much. She's not asking for too much. The kid gets to eat what she wants to eat, right? Like that's that mentality, like, oh God. And I can picture some really sick and toxic people going, oh God, just be grateful for what you have. These are the people that keep you stuck in a situation where you're not allowed to want more or better for yourself. It's a fact. So let's talk a little deeper about this. Let's dive in, shall we? Just a little deeper to the deep end of the ocean. And I want, I made some notes because that's how I roll. I don't want to leave anything out for you. When I get these good ideas, I say, boy, I better write them down because you want to, you're going to, I don't want to miss anything for you. All right. So, Oh, where did I put my notes? Damn, 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 girl. I missed, I'm, I'm losing my notes. Okay. They're somewhere around here. Let's see. Where did I put them? How annoying for you to have to sit and wait. All right. I put them in my phone. Nope. Here they are. All right. So first of all, I've already talked to you about why we do this. All right. So instead of talking about how to stop settling, Okay. And we gave you the seven step process to like stop doing what you're doing, which is really just one step. Stop doing what you're doing. You don't need anything else. Okay. It's like that old video of uh, the Bob Newhart show when he was like being a therapist and he was like, okay, I'm going to charge you, you know, $200 for the first, you know, $5 for the first minute and $200 every minute after that or whatever to solve your problem. And the client comes in, she's like, okay, so you know, I just feel so, so anxious. You know, every time I go somewhere, I just feel so like, and he looked at her and he goes, stop it. And she just looks kind of crazy. And she's like looking at him like he's nuts. And then she goes, well, no, I mean, I just like when I'm in an elevator and I'm really claustrophobic, all of a sudden I start thinking that I'm going to die in there and I'm never going to get out. And he looks at her and he goes, stop it. And then it keeps going on. He's like, hey, we're in about a minute. You're going to start spit. This is it. There was the whole advice was stop it. Okay. And that is true for so many of us. But like I said earlier, we don't know when we're settling. So I'm going to give you some tips to know when you're settling five different times in your life that you can look at this partner that you're with. And we're going to talk about this in the context of relationships today, but it could be absolutely any scenario. 
any scenario you can apply these five things to. So what I always encourage you to do, and I know that you already do this, those of you that listen regularly and, and visit with me regularly in these videos is let's get yourself a journal, please. For the love of God, get yourself a journal and start to keep track. If you're doing these exercises with me or you're taking notes on these things so that you can start to see your progress. You know, you can't, you can't come to these videos to be a spectator. I just want to watch what she says. And I want to listen to her. You've got to come here as an active participant in your own healing, which means come to these videos with a pen and paper, with some journaling, a good pen. I'll tell you what I use that saved my life is good notes. I use it on my iPad. And when you have good notes, look at this sparkly bastard. I overpaid for this and the stones are falling off. So if you know somebody that's a good blinger, please let me know. Please don't tag a million people in my things. Okay. Um, anyway, good notes. You can take notes and search them. It's, it's amazing. A little tip for you there. Uh, so, but, but do this, let's talk about the first one. The first way, you know, that you are settling is it's going to sound so stupid, but it's one of the most profound things that you could take a look at and see if you're doing this and how often you're doing this. Here's how, you know, you're settling number one your gut, your gut, you walk into a situation and I know, I know you are an empath. You feel energy. You're a highly sensitive person. You know, you read a room, honey. Okay. You know, what's going on. So your gut is telling you whether that's they're using, this isn't right. This person is mistreating me. This person is lying to me. This person is gaslighting me, you know, whatever feeling you get in your gut, and that's real. So one of the first things you need to know is that's real. That gut feeling you have is real. But but you might say, well, Heidi, I know it's real. But you don't know it's real because what happens is you don't listen to it. It travels up from your gut. Okay, you're sitting with so-and-so. You're sitting with you know Joe across the table and you're having some dinner and he's been in recovery for two weeks and he's looking at you and you know he gets up and he walks to the restaurant and that little panic in your belly starts to set up, right? Because you're sitting, you're having a nice meal. There's a bar right over there. You you even worried about whether or not you're gonna take him to this restaurant or not. You were like, shit, there's a bar here, maybe. But you're like, you know what? It's his recovery. I've got to let it go. So you sit down at the restaurant, he starts, he walks over, he passes the bar on the way to the restroom and panic sets in. That gut feeling comes into your stomach, but you're like, you know what? I've got to trust him. It's okay. It's fine. 10 minutes later, he comes back to the table and you smell something on him. You smell alcohol or you see a wobble a little bit and he goes to sit down and he loses his hand off the table or something strange happens. And your gut is telling you, this just did something. Something's not firing on all cylinders here. Okay. Joe's a little out to lunch. Joe's a little left to center. Joe's not the slight, the, the, is a slice short of a loaf. He's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Okay. You're starting to put it together. But what happens is that gut feeling traveled, the anxiety actually carries it up to your head. And in your head is where that old gaslight program has been installed and it starts to say things to you. Well, you should really trust him more. You know what? He's in recovery. You're going to have to let it go. If you bring it up, you might upset him. If you ask him if he's drunk or if he drank at the bar, you're going to piss him off. So you better not do that. You better just bite it. You know what? Maybe you can tell. You'll wait a little longer. You'll see a little more. You, you start to just do this mental gymnastics with yourself. That is a tip 
mental gymnastics and gaslighting yourself and self-betrayal. That's really what that's called is self-betrayal. When you know something's up, but you talk yourself out of it. So many of us blame addicts, alcoholics, and narcissists for gaslighting. We're the number one gaslighter. We gaslight ourselves the hell out of ourselves on a regular basis. Okay. I don't know why I'm like a football player today. I'm like sitting, like I'm going to pounce on you, but you know what? I, it, I don't know. I'm just intense about what I'm saying, but I need to relax because I'm hurting myself. I need to sit back and chill. So, but that's the point. The point is, is you know it in your gut. So that's a number one key. All right, Heidi, I hear you. This week, I'm going to pay attention to that gut feeling. How many times I get, it's all I want you to do. How many times I get that gut feeling and how many times I send it north to my head and talk myself out of it. How many times in a week do you gaslight yourself? That is an indicator that you are settling in your relationship. All right, number two, this is a big one. I, I'm so excited about talking about this one, but I'm a little nervous to talk about this one because it's going to ruffle some feathers, okay, some feathers. But I don't care because it's such an important thing to say. I, I'm not a, I'm not a downer of Al-Anon. Okay. You need to know this. I'm not anti-Al-Anon. Al-Anon is a great place for people to share what's up. Okay. You go into an Al-Anon meeting, you sit down, you share what's going on with my alcoholic or my addict. You claim that person. I mean, okay. Already you can tell I have a slant on this thing. I'm just going to roll with it. I believe in my heart of hearts that Al-Anon is a place to go if you want to learn how to eat more shit. Now, I don't, you're going to get mad at me and some, you're not going to get mad at me because you're, you're nodding right now and you're listening, you're, going, mm -hmm, you're in your kitchen doing your dishes. You're like, preach, bitch, preach. I, or girl, maybe don't call me a bitch. That's fine if you did. Being in total control of herself. Uh, but, you know, I think that, so many times people go to Al-Anon and here's what happens. You go to Al-Anon, you sit down, let's say Sally goes to Al-Anon. She, she shits down, she sits down and she starts to have a conversation with her sponsor and she says what's going on. And she talks for a solid three hours about her life. She lays it all out there. She talks about what's going on with her alcoholic. She, she, she runs through the scenario and everybody's listening and everybody's now this is the value of Al-Anon is number one, everybody's listening. Okay. And so many times, if you're a spouse or partner of an addict or an alcoholic, you feel like nobody's listening to you and you don't want to tell anybody anyway. Right. So if you, if you get up the courage, you at least want to be heard. So that's the value of Al-Anon is being heard and validated. Um, they're not allowed to give you advice. They're not allowed to fix you because that's codependent. You know, they fix two broken plates trying to glue each other together. You know, it's like, it's a blind leading to blind. It's a hot mess. Uh, but, you know, so you get the feelings off your chest, but here's what happens. After you go in there and you share for three hours and you talk about how bad it is and how much, what happens? You you feel better. Amen, right? Hallelujah. You feel better. And then what do you do? You go back in for more because Al-Anon teaches you how to survive narcissistic abuse. That's a big claim. Al-Anon teaches you how to survive an alcoholic's abusive behavior. 
Now, if you want to learn how to survive their behavior, that's awesome. That's an awesome place where you can go talk about how bad it is, how much they've hurt you, how everything has been so sad. That's a great place because it'll give you the juice to go back into your situation. And then you'll go, you'll put, get, get a bunch of that situation and you go back into Al-Anon and talk about it again. Okay. And then you'll go back in. It's just like, all it's doing is like you're, you're home and you're, you're a bicycle man. And you're trying to ride in your life. Your life is a bicycle and you're riding and your tires are deflating and deflating because there's a leak in a hole and it sucks. And the road is jacked and it sucks so bad. And then you go somewhere and you get your tires pumped up and you get your new tire and you go, Oh God, it feels so much better. And you ride that bike right in that shithole again. And you got the potholes and the shit. I mean, it's, it's, is it working? I don't know. I don't want to teach you how to survive other people's stuff better. I don't want to teach you how to now. Yes, there are times I, I'm going to take that back and be a little contradictory here. There are times I'm going to teach you how to survive another person's shit and not get sucked in with them. If you know, this is a person you're committed to for the rest of your life. It's a parent, it's a child, it's whatever. It's, it's somebody that you want to learn how to navigate, but I don't think anybody that's abusive should learn how to be navigated. I just don't. I think when somebody is abusive and somebody's hurting you, it's time to learn how to get out uh, and how to know you're settling and how to move on more than it's how to learn how to stay in it and put up with it. So many times I get letters from people. I get uh, questions on my YouTube. Like, how do you know when they, you know, they keep blaming me for their cheating? You know, what should I say? Because they're blaming for honey, honey, honey. I'm going to teach you what to say to somebody when they blame you for cheating. I'm going to teach you what to say somebody what to say when somebody is blaming you for their cheating. Just sit with that question for a minute. What if I taught you how to learn why you stay with a cheater in the first place or why you've chosen a cheater or why that cheating is okay or why you're defending yourself or why you have shit to prove or why you're trying to prove your value and change your life instead? How about I teach you that? Okay. I mean, I say this with all the love in my heart because I know this is not your fault. This is how settling happens. We we get into this shit show, like the frog in the water, and we go, oh, it's not that bad. It's a little warm. Oh, it's like a hot tub. Oh, shit, I'm dead. You know, I mean, that's that's how that happens. All right. Number one was you're, you're lying to yourself. You're gaslighting yourself because your gut is telling you otherwise. Number two is that you're going somewhere to talk about all the terrible shit that's happening. This could be Al-Anon or therapy. You're talking and she's giving you breathing techniques and coping mechanisms and teaching you how to ride a roller coaster and count to 10. Okay. And you're, you're doing all this stuff, but then you're going home to the same shit. That's a sign. That's a sign. Number three is that you're waiting for God to change your circumstance. Now, again, this is going to be another Oh my God, what are you saying that God doesn't change? Let's look, look at this. Okay. If you're, if you're not, if you're watching this, I am showing you a little statue of the Lord. Okay. On the podcast, let me tell you, it's, it's, it's a Jesus. All right. He's got his head up and his arms out. And this, this looks to me like he's looking for inspiration. He's looking for a connection with, with, with God to himself. He's thinking, you know, God is me. I am God. You know, he's, He's channeling, you know, the best of himself and believing in faith. And I, I hold all of those things to be true as well. But what I don't believe in is using God as a method to change somebody else. So they fit a mold that you want to put them in. I don't believe in that. And that's an old saying 
I don't know, Joel Osteen or a million other preachers have said it many times, stop praying for God to change your circumstance and start praying for God to change you. Because if you're praying, God fix this, God change this person, God take this obsession away from this person, God deliver this person, honey, God change your perspective, God deliver you from the compulsion and the obsession to fix or change another human being. If I had a microphone that was not on this thing, I'd drop it, okay? Stop praying to God to fix and change another human being for you so that you can be okay and comfortable with them and start praying for the courage that you need to let go of that person and for God to change you. Hallelujah. Some We just need to, we just need to just like, let that one just be what it is on a meme. I don't know, but it's a good one. Okay. Wow. What would life be like if instead I, I, I didn't pray for God to change my mom and I prayed for the courage and the grace and the love in my heart to let her go. What if I stopped praying to change my husband who's drinking and alcoholic and, 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 and terrible to the kids. And instead I started to pray for the courage to love myself and my children enough to go until they're better or to let them loose. Okay. Number four is if you're not asking God to fix those people, like leave it to God, let go and let God see this. This is, this is two levels of a codependent. One level of a codependent is I am, um, I am trying to fix or change that person myself. Okay. I know I'm settling. If I'm trying to fix or change a person, myself. I am buying all the books. I go to the bookstore on a regular basis. I search Google. I download things. I look at how to be sober. If they don't want to do Alan, if they don't want to do AA. I look up other methods for sobriety. I look up programs, retreats, ayahuasca, even I've thought about, you know, all these different things. And then when they're drinking and using, I try to monitor how much they've been using. And, you know, I know you feel called out right now. It's okay. You're going to be okay. If I can't see you, how can I help you? Okay. So you need to know I'm calling out these things. Yes, I see you, but that also means I'm doing this out of love because if I see you, I can help you. You need to know this. And in fact, if you're already just ready to get some help right now, this episode is brought to you by HeidiRain.com. That is our company that does coaching, consulting, helps you to break free from toxic relationships and get your life back and your power back or decide if you want to stay or go. HeidiRain.com. It is my empowerment company, my coaching and personal development company that I serve you with. So go check it out. All right. So level one of a codependent is I'm trying to fix them. I'm doing all the things. I'm doing all the stuff. I'm looking at the meetings. I'm looking at the schedule. I'm driving them to the meetings. Level two codependent thinks they're better than level one. So a level two codependent says things like, well, to the other codependent, a level two codependent will say to a level one codependent, well, honey, you know, you can't change them and you know, you can't fix them. And you know, what you're doing is not working because you have no control, but God will fix them and God will change them. And God has all the, I mean, you're, you're the same person with a spiritual bypass. Okay. Okay. You're the same codependent. You're just up-leveling, leaving it to the Lord to fix or change somebody. Instead, when we heal from codependency, we focus on ourselves. We learn how to deal within ourselves and stop trying to change and fix the people around you. So that's a symptom. If you are trying to change or fix somebody around you, or you're leaving it to the Lord to rain his holy epiphany down on somebody, you're settling. 
Pray for God to rain his epiphany on you. All right. Okay. And the last one, how you know you're settling is such a good one. I mean, I feel like they've all been good. You know, I was, I wanted to chop this up. You know, they always say, oh, people don't have long attention spans, you know, but you do. You want to hear all the things. That's why I make these longer videos. Cause I know you're like, yes, give me all the details. Here's the last thing. You know, you are settling if you're doing this very special kind of dance. Now, I love to dance. I love to dance. I teach Zumba on the side for a little fun. You know, I, I go salsa dancing with my friends. I love to dance, you know. So I'm good at, I'm not good at dancing, but I'm all right. Okay, I hold my own. But I, but this type of dance isn't fun. This type of dance seems fun, but it's not. Okay, it's not a good dance. It is the dance of denial. And I learned that from Tony Robbins. So let me, let me like upgrade, not, not that I'm going to, let me upgrade Tony Robbins material. Okay. Let me like do better than he did, but I'm going to explain it in a little bit of a different way. Okay. <laughs> God love him. All right. The dance of denial looks like this. You're in a relationship with somebody and it's a shit show. Okay. It is not working currently as it is. It is a no bueno. Right. But here's with the dance of denial. You waltz your way or you lombada or you macarena your way into the past and you, you romanticize the past. You romanticize it. You think, well, when I first met them, they were really great or like there was, we had so much fun or like, Hey, that first three days were awesome. Or that first 10 years were awesome. Right. So you justify and you say, but I romanticize the past. And then I say, I'm in the past and I get a really good feeling. Let's say, let's say Jim in the, in the current moment is, isn't, is just an ass. Okay. Jim is not a good partner to you. Janet is not a good partner to you. Julia, whatever, how many J names I can think about is not a good partner for you, but you fantasize and romanticize when you first met them, they really were. That gives you enough juice, just like Al-Anon or therapy. You mentally make yourself feel better so that you can tolerate that person in the present moment by remembering who they used to be. That is not helpful for you. That takes you out of reality into fantasy land and it makes you believe it's better than it is. And you cannot fix something you do not acknowledge is real. And you don't acknowledge it's real when you pretend they're who they used to be instead of who they really are. Okay. Another way you do that is you waltz, macarena, shimmy your way into fantasizing. So you jump from romanticizing the past to fantasizing about the future. It's a shit show right now. It is no bueno right now in the current moment, but you go, but it's going to be better. Yeah. I can see a future for us. I know that he has so much potential and if he just does what he needs to do and he gets a hold of recovery, our lives are going to be amazing. We're going to take trips. We're going to, he's going to be a spokesperson for, for recovery. We're going to start a coaching company. I mean, you, you just have all this thing in your head and you fantasize. And then what happens? You get a little shot of dopamine because the brain doesn't know the difference between past, present, or future. The brain follows whatever direction you give it. It wants to feel, it, it, it doesn't care. It has no time. Brain has no time. I mean, the yes, time is a construct of the brain. We're, we're not getting into like a metaphysical conversation right now. Let's stick to the roots. Okay, we don't get too fluffy over here. Basically what I'm saying to you is you give yourself a shot of dopamine right now by thinking about somebody in the future tense. And then you transpose that future tense version of that person on the present moment. And you think, 
it's not that bad. I feel better. You have to be willing to sit with pain long enough to make you pull the trigger to change. You got to be willing to set the pain, sit with the pain long enough. So it pushes you in the direction of action. But if you're always romanticizing and fantasizing your way out of pain, you're never going to take any action. So if that's you, I want you to notice that. Do you do that? I've given you five things to pay attention to this week, haven't I? Five things to pay attention to in ways that you might be settling. Start with one and just give it a whirl. Well, Heidi, you know, maybe I already know I'm settling because I'm already, already great. You, you don't even need to do that. You don't need to sit with it. You don't need to do anything. What you need to do then is take the next step, which is join my toxic relationship recovery course so you can stop doing that. How do you stop settling? You stop it, but it is more, it's it's not, the joke is you just stop it. You don't just stop it. There are processes, there are things you have to do in order to start to break these lies that we tell ourselves apart. And, and that's where I come in. That's the work that I get to do with you. So if you're interested in, hey, taking the next step or you want to schedule a 90 minute strategic deep dive with me, which you can do, where I'll assess your situation. You can tell me all the details. We'll get together for 90 minutes and I will tell you exactly. I'll get my crystal ball and I'll tell you exactly what I see happening, what's likely going to happen uh, and, and help you strategize a plan to move forward. You know, you get to... You get to have the life you want, but you have to first realize the life you're living isn't always what you think it is or pretend it's, it is, or, you know, you get to have a better experience for yourself. And I'm constantly doing this too. I upgraded in my, you know, relationships. I upgraded in my business. I upgraded in, and every six months I walk around and I say, what am I tolerating or settling for? Now I'll tell you what it was for me today. We just got back from a, like a two week vacation. We were, we were on a boat. We were, you know, in the mountains, we did a bunch of stuff and my house looks like a damn tornado went off in it. It looks like a tornado. It, it is horrible. And I realized this is what I'm settling for. I'm settling for bags, for laundry piled up from suitcases that are yet unpacked. I'm settling for you know, Christmas decorations that are half taken down. I'm settling for my daughter's bathroom, which is like this. I'm settling for like, you wanted to get gross. I have a plate here from yesterday's snack that has an apple that's half eaten, disgusting with peanut butter on it that sat here for 24 hours. It is literally being 24, this plate is here. And that's not the worst of it. I have a second plate of food that I ate yesterday when I was working. It's still here as well. These are the things that I'm that I'm settling for. So now I look and I go, okay, I'm going to do my own work on myself. So today I was like, okay, toxic gratitude is like, be grateful you have plates. Be grateful you were able to go away for two weeks. Be grateful that you have a Christmas. Be grateful that you have dirty clothes. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the old me that wants to be grateful because I I'm, you know, have nothing. Okay. I understand. Yes. I'm not that girl anymore. I'm not that woman anymore. So I have two choices. I can look around and I can, um, I can, I can gaslight myself. I can go, well, it's not as bad as it is really. It's other people's houses are hoarders. I'll watch an episode of hoarders and then I'll feel better about my house. Right. That's what I'll do. I'll be like, oh, it's really not that bad. I'll just gaslight myself. My gut 
walks into the laundry pile and the suitcase is overflowing because yuck, but my head goes, let's watch hoarders so I can feel better about myself. Okay. I'm complaining to other people. I'm calling up my sister or somebody else I love and I'm going, oh, the house is a mess. I don't have any energy. I did it. And then I feel better and my house is still messy. I do nothing. Or I wait for God to change my house. Okay. I go, God, just change this house. God just magically swoop down little, you know, Hey, Lord Jesus, fly down, pick up the laundry, take it into the, because the laundry's upsetting me, God. So change it, go put it in the, you know, okay. Or I could say, I need to get to work. I need to fix all the laundry, I, which is a fine solution. If it's my, if it's all my deal, or I could say, well, it's half Ellie's it's half it's well, Doug did his stuff, but okay. I could say, or I could stop trying to do everything for everybody and let Ella V clean up her laundry and clean up her room. And that takes some of my load off and I'm not trying to fix and save the world. Okay. Or romanticizing when well, my house used to be cleaner or fantasizing my house will be cleaner, but it's not now. Or I can upgrade my expectations and I could say, so here's what I did. I walked around and I practiced the way that I'm going to talk to somebody today. Then I'm going to call and have a consultation and go around and say, I need help with this. I need help with that. Uh, I need help with the laundry. I need help with, um, you know, packing the Christmas stuff. You know, I need help. What would it be like if I allowed myself to have somebody to help me where I didn't have to do it all by myself? It would be miraculous, wouldn't it? If I would suddenly take a stand for myself and go, I deserve, and it's okay to upgrade my life to say, I can have somebody come in and help me put stuff away, organize things. It doesn't mean that I'm not grateful for the life I have. It doesn't mean I think too highly of myself. It doesn't mean I can't do it and there's something wrong with me. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that I'm allowed to upgrade my level of support in my life and notice where I've been settling myself. And the same is true for you. You can keep doing what you're doing. You could do any one of these things. You could do it all by yourself. You could try to save the world. You could do whatever, or you could look at me and say, what would life be like if I let her come in and support me? I'm going to tell you, it'd be radically different for you because for once in your life, you'd have somebody who has your back. And that's what I want to have for you, your back. So I'm going to go make some calls. I'm going to have somebody in here who has my back on a regular basis. I'm going to bite the bullet and make it. No, I don't, I know. I don't want to spend my, I don't want to spend money. I want to keep all the money. Okay. But in order to up-level my life, I have to make some investments in things that I know are going to help me in my mental health, my emotional health, my psychological health, and so on and so on. And so do you, okay? You can make your investment at HeidiBrain.com and it'd be the best investment you can make. All right, I love you so much. Take excellent care of yourself and I will see you next week. Bye-bye.